when I was a kid, it seemed that there were always new ways of that we were thinking up of trying to, to hurt one another. One of the games that we would play uh, to do this was called Mercy. And if you, I'm sure most of you have played it, but if you haven't, what you do is you find somebody else, you, you lock your hands together by interlacing your fingers, and then you try to twist and turn the other person's arm and wrist to the point of pain. And when they couldn't take the pain any longer, they were supposed to say, Mercy. And when they said, Mercy, you were supposed to show mercy. Um, of course, by saying mercy, you prove that you were the weaker of the kids. And so you would always try to find somebody that was weaker than you because there was nothing more embarrassing than challenging someone to a game of mercy and then ended up losing. So you always were trying to find that way to, to win, to feel good about yourself. And for me, I was always thinking I wasn't the strongest kid, but I wasn't the weakest kid either. So if someone made me say mercy, I could always find somebody else that I could make them say mercy. And, and, and you know, in a weird boy sort of way, it just felt good to make people have to beg for mercy like that. It just did. In some ways, though, that game is kind of a good preparation for life. Because in life, there are going to be times where you need mercy. And in life, there are going to be times where you give mercy. Now, needing mercy is not often difficult. Typically, we are aware of the times when we need mercy in our life. But giving mercy, giving mercy to people, that can be extraordinarily difficult for us to do. And Jesus, He expects that all of His disciples, that all of us, would be merciful people. Let's look at this today. Open your, your Bible to Matthew 5 and 7. When you find that, I'm asking you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We gather today with a desire to learn from you about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be. Father, we are, as a people, thankful that you have been merciful to us. Lord, despite that, it is often very difficult for us to show this kind of mercy to other people. Today, speak to us from your word and help us, Lord, to be a merciful people who are willing to do what you want us to do in this. Lord, and I know... We're always going to be able to come up with reasons why someone doesn't deserve mercy. But Lord, in those times, let your spirit remind us. We didn't deserve your mercy either, but you gave it to us freely in Christ Jesus. Today, God, guide us that we would have ears to hear and we would have hearts that would be willing to obey, to go out and do what you'd want us to do. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And don't let me be a hindrance in any way to what you want said and what you want done today. Father, have your way in all hearts and in all minds and let us be different because of what we've done here today. Be glorified in this time. And Lord, just touch us today. Let us know that you're here. We need you far more than we need anything else. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, mercy is kind of a strange thing because it is something we are glad that is there most of the time. But there are times when we wish that it wasn't. And usually the way it works is something like this. When we need mercy, we're always glad it shows up to help us when we've gotten ourselves in a jam. But we aren't always as glad to see mercy show up to help someone else out of a jam. We all tend to have certain people, whether it's individuals or groups of people, that we would really prefer to get no mercy at all. Not mercy from a judge, not mercy from us, not mercy from another human, and, and not even mercy from God. They ought to, we say, get what they deserve. 
And that's a difficult thing for us to overcome, but indeed it is something that we must overcome if we are to do and be what Jesus would have us to do and be. Now before we talk about what it is to be merciful, it's important that we understand what it is not to be merciful. Mercy isn't tolerating, ignoring, excusing, or affirming sinful actions and attitudes. Now, that's kind of the way our culture would have us to believe that it is. If someone is living in sin or acts in a sinful way, and we call them out on it, we are not being kind, we are not being merciful. But being merciful is not in opposition to caring about the sin in another person's life, whether it's an attitude or an action. Mercy doesn't keep us from confronting sin. In another person's life. That is extremely unbiblical. In fact I would contend that. Affirming someone in their sin. Or ignoring sin in someone's life. Those are the most unmerciful. And unloving things that we could possibly do. Right? Because sin has a wage. Sin reaps a harvest. How unkind to tell someone that they're going to be okay when we know from Scripture they're really not going to be okay. How unmerciful to tell someone it's no big deal when we know from Scripture it is a big deal and there is a day of reckoning coming. Mercy is not excusing sin. It is not minimizing sin. It is not overlooking sin. So what is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? There's a lot. I looked up definitions for it. One said it means to have a forgiving spirit and a compassionate heart. Another said it's being compassionate and benevolent toward others. Because God has been compassionate and benevolent toward us. And I think that's really kind of the key to understand as far as giving mercy. Right? Merciful people. We give to others what God has given to us. What we have received from God. We are merciful. Because we have received mercy. Now mercy is really includes a lot. uh, That we don't have time to look at today. Mercy includes forgiveness. Forgiving those who have wronged us. It is also a a deliberate effort on our part to understand a person, their actions, their attitude, their situation, and in doing what we can to help them. And doing what is needed to help them. And so much of this I don't have time to get into. But mercy is doing what needs to be done to help the person in a time of need. And that may be in the time of need they need forgiveness. And it may be in a time of need they need a listening ear. And it may be in a time of need they need us to physically do something. But merciful people do what is necessary to meet that need. Now Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But notice he doesn't put limits on who we're to be merciful toward. He doesn't mean, he doesn't say, be merciful Toward those who have overcome, who have been overcome by circumstances beyond their control. 
He doesn't say, be merciful to those who are hungry, sick, or oppressed, or outcasts. He doesn't say, be merciful to those who have wronged us. And he doesn't give any categories because he expects us to understand that all categories are included. You say, well, what about, yes, even the person that we would say, what about? Even the group of people that we would say, what about? We are to be merciful to them. There is no person or no group of people that we are not expected to show a measure of mercy toward. You see, that's a big thing, and it is. But we are to do this because God has given us mercy. We are to do this because God is merciful in this way, and we are to emulate this part of His character. I like this verse. Love your enemies, do good, Lend, hoping nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the thankful and the evil. Now notice this. Therefore, be merciful. So all of that is an element of mercy. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is also merciful. So as our Father is merciful, we are to be merciful. And the way our Father shows mercy... It's the way we're to show mercy. Now, just looking at this verse, which we're not going to get into in depth, just quickly look at. Mercy then is given to our friends and our enemies. Mercy is doing good and not wanting anything in return. Mercy is given to the kind. It is given to the unthankful. And it is given to the evil. That's who we're to show mercy to. As I was studying on mercy, there are, I think, two primary requirements for us to be a a merciful people. First, mercy requires a compassionate vision. To be merciful is to have compassion on those in need. It's meant to be shown to those, to people regardless of status, merits, race, religion, or anything else. Acts of mercy are done because of need, not because of merit. And that's the very kind of the idea of mercy. It's not merited. For most of us, this does require a shift in our perception of people and a greater awareness of our, of our surroundings. What we need to do is we need to see the world in the way that Jesus saw it. This is one of my very favorite passages talks about Jesus and the way he saw the world. He tells us first what he did. He went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he went out doing good. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, I love the example that we see from Jesus here. But... As Jesus looks at the multitudes who are coming to him, he looks with compassion and not with judgment. And and to me, that's significant. right? Because when Jesus looked at the multitudes, what did he know about them? Everything. He knew every sin they had ever committed. He knew every unrighteous act they had ever done. 
He knew the motives of their hearts. They may come to him and say, Jesus, we think you're the Messiah. We want to follow you. But if all they wanted was healing for him to give them food or to watch him put the Pharisees in their place, he knew that as well. There was no aspect of their their thoughts, their attitudes, their values, their priorities, their anything that he did not know. And yet, when he looked at them, that's not what he focused on. He looked at them and he saw with compassion. It should be our desire to look at the multitudes in the exact same way that Jesus did. To look and see with compassion. But he also saw their needs. Right? Scripture says that they were weary and scattered. Now the word translated as weary, it carries with it the idea of being weighed down to the point of exhaustion. Right? Now this wasn't just the, the physical exhaustion that came from following Jesus and going to where he was. It also carried with it the idea of the things that weighed them down. Life was hard for them. Life weighed them down. If you are familiar with the the timing of Jesus' arrival and the way the Pharisees kind of dictated the Jewish religion, you know that religion weighed them down. And then there was just sin. I mean, they were sin in their lives and sin weighed them down. All of these things weighed on on these people, bore down upon them, threatened to, to crush them under the loads that they were carrying. So they were weary from it. They were also scattered, right? They were, it sort of pictures running from place to place, looking for a way to ease their burdens. They had physical needs. They had spiritual needs. They had emotional needs. But they didn't know where that would come from. So they went here and they went there. And there was no one really to guide them to the place where they needed to go to find help with those needs that they had. So I want to ask you, Think for a second, last time you were in a large crowd of people. It may have been a ball game, it may have been at Walmart, church, at a restaurant, at your job. Wherever it was, what did you see as you surveyed the crowd? Did you see people who ought to learn English? Did you see people who were dirty and needed to bathe? Did you see people you were mad at? Did you see people that you knew they were sinners? Did you see people you heard rumors that they were sinners? Or did you see people that were weary from carrying heavy burdens and scattered, going from place to place, looking for your help, looking for help? What we see says a lot about whether or not we'll be able to be merciful people or not. We we are meant to be like Jesus. And that means we have to learn to see the way that he saw. And with seeing the way Jesus saw, That is going to be very different than what our culture wants us to do. I mean, you may not have noticed, but we are in a politically divisive time right now, aren't we? 
And if you're a liberal, there is a particular way they want you to see anyone who's not a liberal. And if you're a conservative, there is a particular way they want you to see someone that's not a conservative. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we can't let MSNBC or Fox News shape the way we see the world around us. We are more than Democrats. We are more than Republicans. Good grief, we're even more than Americans. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And to be like Him is what we're supposed to be. And that requires us to see the world as He saw it. Refuse and reject the world's mindset. Refuse and reject the world's idea of how we see one another. Choose. Choose to see with compassion. Choose to be like Jesus. So we have to have compassionate vision. That's a a part of it. But mercy also requires action. Mercy is more than a feeling of sympathy or pity. For what someone is going through. That's kind of a beginning. A starting place. We we see with compassion. We see. And then we begin to, to do. What we can. See seeing with compassion. That's the start. It really only becomes mercy. As we begin to do something about it. Being merciful is not just a feeling. Or a frame of mind. Ultimately it is the performance of actions. Sympathy and compassion that comes from a merciful heart, it compel us to act to help those in need. Mercy doesn't merely lead us to feel bad for what someone is going through and then go on as if nothing has happened. Instead, mercy moves us to do what we can to help. Merciful people do things. Merciful people They give food to the hungry, comfort to the bereaved, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, and companionship to the lonely. Mercy gets involved in the needs in another person's life. Merciful people are willing to move beyond their comfort zones. They're willing to move beyond their convenience. And they're willing to do what they can do To help someone in need. Let me show you this from scripture. The apostle John writes. By this we know love. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Okay let's just stop there. Mercy actually flows through love. Jesus loves us. So in mercy Jesus came. To die. On the cross for our sins. He didn't just sit up in heaven and go. I love them. I hope things get better. I love them. I hope they can square their lives away. He said I love them. I'm I'm going. And I will do what is necessary to help them. In their time of need. Now that's the prime example. Of love fueled mercy. John uses that. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus laid down his life for us. 
So, John says, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, John was a practical guy. And so John knew, realistically, there aren't going to be a whole lot of chances to actually die for someone else. I mean, it happens, but it's rare. But John's a practical guy, so he takes this example of Jesus that we're to follow, and he brings it down to show us how we're to live it out in our lives. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love not in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. So how do we love? Show mercy like Jesus. We, we, we do something. Now John gives us two conditions. Really for showing mercy, I guess. Showing love based mercy. And I would say that if these two conditions are met as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are placed in an inescapable obligation to do what we can to help. The first is knowing about the need. Right? If you, whoever, if you, whoever, well, first is having the ability to help. I guess that's actually first in this. Whoever has this world's goods, so there's an ability to help, and sees his brother in need. So there's the two obligations. I know about the need. I have the ability to help with that need. But if those two conditions are met, John says I'm, I'm obligated. To do what I can to help. Now, John actually, he says really far more than what I would say. Because he says that if you if you have the ability to help, and you know that the need is there, but you don't do anything. How does the love of God abide in you? Man, that's harsh. I mean, if you see this need that you have the ability to meet, and you... To turn your eye from it, John calls it shutting up your heart from them. How can you legitimately say you've experienced God's love? How can you legitimately say you've experienced the mercy of God? That's what John asks. Now, I'm not asking that. That would be harsh if I asked it, but that's what John says. So he says, let's love. Not in word, not in tongue, deed and action. And in truth. Now, it's interesting as I was thinking about this passage, because in John's day, one resource that people had very little of, it was money. So for them to give money to help someone in a financial need, it was a a sacrificial thing. It strapped them financially to give money to someone to help them. But in our day, that's not as much Of a problem. Not really. I mean we are pretty much the most prosperous generation that has ever lived. And we would say well I don't have a whole lot of extra. But before we would say that. How many of us have devices? Smartphones? Flat screen TVs? I mean, we have. We have stuff. So giving money, for the most part, 
doesn't really require a sacrifice for us. But what about giving time? What about sacrificing our our comfort? What about going to someone on a day when it is inconvenient for us? What about someone who has an emotional or a spiritual need and actually going to them, getting involved in their lives to help? And that's a bit more of a sacrifice. I've got a friend who pastors in Texas. There's a a kid in his town that graduated with his daughter who's addicted to drugs. I don't know if you've ever tried to help someone on drugs or not, but it's a miserable thing to try to get him off. He is forever helping this kid. Going and picking him up, taking him to rehab, bringing him to church, praying for him, checking on him. To me, it is a significant emotional time investment on his part to help this kid. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about, or John is talking about here. You know, a lot of times what we can do if we're not careful is we can take the easy way out. I mean, because again, let's let's be real honest. A lot of times getting in our wallets and giving $20, that's far easier than going to someone's house at 8 o'clock at night on a Friday evening. That, that's far easier than setting hours with them at their house and letting them tell us about the issues that they're facing. In many cases, just giving money is a way to soothe our consciences without actually doing what needs to be done. But that's not what John is actually talking about. John is talking about doing whatever is necessary, not just giving a quick, easy $20. But doing whatever you can to help. Again, if you know about the need, and if you have the ability to meet that need. The picture is that we are to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to help in that time of need, because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus demonstrated Loving mercy for us in a very practical way. What we needed wasn't a counselor. What we needed wasn't more money. What we needed wasn't more education. We needed a Savior. So He came to do that. Now there are any number of ways we could live this out. We could Any number of actions we could take in being merciful. But make no mistake. Action is required. Without taking some action, there is no real mercy. Now the promise Jesus gives, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I think what we see here is a the law of sowing and reaping. If I sow mercy, I will reap mercy. But... What does that mean to us on a practical level? 
Who will I receive mercy from? How is this going to be seen? I believe what I see from Scripture is that we will receive mercy both from man and God. People are more apt to be merciful to those that we know are merciful. When I was stationed in Germany, there was a guy in my unit that was the weirdest human being I have ever met in my life. We called him the root of all evil. He worshipped the sun. He had a moral aversion to personal hygiene. He was not a good soldier by any stretch of the imagination. And he did not care how much trouble he got the rest of us in because of his poor hygiene and his poor soldier. He was not the most popular guy in our platoon. Now, In the army, there's an organization that helps soldiers. If a loved one dies, a parent or someone dies and they don't have the money to be able to go home for the funeral. And every year there's a big drive to have a certain amount deducted from your paycheck and automatically sent to them. And you were all, we were all expected to give at least $10, but as much as we wanted. For most of us, we gave the minimum amount, whatever we could get by with and not get in trouble. But Root gave about $200 a month. Now, Root was a private in 1994. was most of his monthly paycheck. It was a significant sacrifice. He gave more than any two or three of us combined to this organization. So we asked him, we said, why? Why? He said, it's just not right for a soldier to be away from home serving his country and not be able to go home if his parents die or someone in his family dies. There ought to be an organization that helps them and we as soldiers ought to help him. Okay. Well, then one day his mother died, and he was short on cash, as happens when you're a private. And he applied to the organization for help, and we figured he would get it. I mean, he met all the qualifications. He gave an enormous amount every month, but he was, for reasons we never knew, he was rejected. They would not send him home from Berlin, Germany. Immediately, our platoon got together, and we took up donations to ensure that he was able to go home and to be with his family during this time. We gave him more than that company, than that group would have given him to ensure that everything would be taken care of and all he had to do was focus on being there with his family and mourning his mother. And we gave for two reasons. Not because he was popular, not because he was a good soldier. It's none of those things. We gave because he gave a lot every month to help other soldiers in this exact same situation. And we gave because we knew if it was our mother who died, he would have been the first one in line to give us money. He would have given us the last out of his bank account to ensure that we were able to go home. We knew that without question. Because he was merciful. It inspired mercy from us. Being merciful. People seeing that we are genuinely merciful people. It inspires them to be more apt to give us mercy. Not just in generosity. Think about it in the area of forgiveness. If someone blows it or does something and you're forever 
yelling and going off the handle at them and not giving them mercy. The day comes when you blow it. What are you most likely to receive, do you think? Mercy or the same treatment that you've given? Mercy begets mercy. It's just the way it typically works. But also, those who are merciful will also receive mercy from God. This is an interesting point in the message. God is merciful, and He expects that we would be merciful. So look at what Scripture says. With the merciful, you will show yourself to be merciful. God shows mercy to those who show mercy. Now, does that mean if we are not merciful, God may not show mercy to us? Well, see what Scripture says. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Hmm. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. You know, the temptation is to look at those and say, well, they don't mean what they really seem to say. But would we be saying that because we've studied them out and we've come to the proper understanding of what they mean and they've concluded that it's an allegorical way for God to say, I would really like it if you would be merciful? Or do we conclude it doesn't really mean what it says because what it says is just too hard? What it says is just too stiff for us to accept. If we're going to claim to take Scripture seriously, we kind of have to let Scripture speak for itself. And we have to let the weight of these things come down on us in the way that they need to. And we have to do that without doing everything we can to take the teeth out of them. Mercy begets mercy with both man and God. The question I had is why? I mean, why does God take this so seriously? We're going to see later in the, in the Gospel of or in the Gospel of Matthew, sorry, that's all in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew six, that God's that Jesus is going to say, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's pretty stiff. Why is it? That if I won't give mercy, I hinder myself from receiving mercy from God. Why does God take this so seriously? And it goes back to what I said was the main idea that we are giving what we have received. God has given us great mercy. And He expects that that would motivate us to also give great mercy. God's mercy took the initiative. And He sent Jesus to come and meet our greatest need, the need for salvation. 
He looked with compassion. He got involved and took action. And now he tells us to do for others what he has done for us. And when we don't, he takes it rather personally. When we look at forgiveness, we don't have time to look at it today. But we're actually going to look at Matthew 18. Where Jesus talks about the unforgiving servant who is given this great mercy and forgiven a great debt, but then refuses to forgive a, a much smaller debt. And I'll just read you the conclusion of the story. And his master was angry, the unforgiving servant, and delivered him to the torturers until he could pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father will also do to each of you. If you do not from your heart forgive his brother his trespasses. God takes our not giving what we have received seriously. Now, I do want to say. The idea of those who receiving mercy after giving mercy, that's not talking about salvation. We aren't saved by being merciful. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But once we have been saved, our lack of mercy can and will hinder our prayers and our relationship with God on every level. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand He fully expects You to be merciful to others as He has been merciful to you. And when you choose, when I choose, not to be merciful, we choose to hinder our relationship with God in every way imagined. It is just that serious. Let's take time and we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and have a time of response. We're not going to have an altar call or anything like that. But how we respond today, it depends on where we are in our relationship with Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this is the time to turn to Him and ask for mercy. Scripture promises us that God is rich in mercy. It overflows in abundance toward us. God's mercy is typically kind of pictured in two ways. On the one hand, He withholds judgment for a period of time. If God was not merciful, we would be judged for our sins the very moment that we did them. The fact that we have sinned and not faced that judgment is a sign of God's mercy. The second is that God offers us a way of escaping this judgment through Jesus Christ. In a sense, you could picture it as with one hand, God is holding back the judgment that is to come. And with the other hand, He is reaching out to us, trying to take us by the hand and pull us out of the way of the judgment and onto the way salvation if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord reach out today take God by the hand and let his mercy 
pull you out of the way of judgment and onto the path of salvation. If you are a believer, begin to pray. Say, God, help me to see the way Jesus sees. I mean, if you don't see that way in the crowd, you know how you see. Repent of those things. Use this time to confess the, the judgmental, arrogant ways that we view people. To confess them as sin. To ask for mercy and grace to change us so that we would see like Jesus saw. And ask Him to give us opportunities this week to show the mercy that He has shown us to someone. Let's take this time and, and pray right now.